I love working with people who are excited about their new business. You know, they want to get it up and running. And if I can help them get their business up more quickly than they could otherwise, then they won't need to struggle for years and years like I did. Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing with your host, Amy Woods Butler. Hello, friends. Today, I'm excited to welcome Deanne Atkinson of MemorySaving.com. I've worked with Deanne several times, and each time she has given me insights that I would have never come to on my own. And that's because she's a business and marketing coach who specializes in helping personal historians and other memory-saving professionals. She helps us to grow our business and to keep a steady stream of clients coming in our door. And Deanne does this by focusing on two aspects, learning the skills we need and then helping us apply those skills out in the real world. Because face it, a lot of us love to learn new things. We love to acquire lots of information on how to do something. But um, like one of my favorite quotes says, knowledge without application is the same thing as ignorance. So Dion, um, I've worked with her uh, in private coaching sessions, and she is excellent because she holds your feet to the fire. She's an incredible motivator as well as a very savvy marketing expert. Her number one goal is to help us become more successful in our business more quickly than we could do on our own. So just to give a little bit of background, um, Dion was a member of the Association of Personal Historians. That's the organization that I've mentioned in other episodes that unfortunately closed down. And because of its closure, that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to reach people to help them as they, they come into the personal history business. Dion presented workshops at seven of the APH annual conferences, and these workshops were consistently um, among the top rated of the conference. She, for the past 16 years, has worked with many, many personal historians, both through teleclasses and through private coaching sessions. And like I said, I can vouch for the effectiveness of these, these private sessions. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about what she calls the five essential skills you need to find clients. And I'll put a link in the show notes to her ebook of the same name. It's great content and it's free to our listeners. So welcome, Diane, and thank you so much for joining us. Um, why don't you start by telling the listeners a little bit about your history, your own past, um, because I know that you started as a psychotherapist. And I just think that's very interesting, the converge convergence of psychotherapy and this interest in personal history. Well, thank you, Amy. I became interested in personal history for my own family when I was about 19 years old. Um, at that time, the Foxfire books had come out where the kids in Appalachia were interviewing their elders and people who had special crafts back in the Appalachian Mountains. And I thought that was so interesting. And I also thought, I could do that. These kids are not much younger than I am. So I headed north to Nebraska with a tape recorder to record my only remaining grandmother. So I became fascinated about saving her stories and stories that my parents had and my aunts and uncles and did some research and went back into, you know, the past for some of my ancestors. And uh, around 2002, 2003, there was a personal historian in Boulder where I live 
who knew I was doing business consulting and also knew that I had a very strong interest in personal history. So she hired me to help her get her business up and running. 2003 was the same year that the annual APH conference was in Denver. And uh, she contacted the coordinator of that conference and got me booked in for two different um, workshops. One of them was marketing for introverts. I remember that. And the other one was five essential skills. Well, um, people came to the first one and they, I don't think they'd had that many business related workshops uh, up until then. And they were so excited about it. They told their friends and the second workshop was standing room only, which really surprised me. But that was really the start of my working with personal historians, which has been a long and very happy collaboration because I continue my interest in personal history. That is fascinating that you just put yourself out there. Did you have a marketing background where, um, because you said you got interested in personal history, but then it sounds like pretty much from the very get-go, your specialty wasn't necessarily doing personal history. You You weren't marketing yourself as a personal historian to do projects for clients, but to help people with their marketing. So how did that come about? Well, what happened was I have a lot of interests. I became interested in psychotherapy, and I studied for six years to be a psychotherapist. But then when I uh, started my business, I found out two things. One, uh, it's not enough to be really good at your skill. You have to also be good at marketing and sales in order to get clients. So I had to turn right around and start learning about marketing and, and sales, business skills. And then the other thing was I found out that I wasn't really all that interested in spending most of my time during the days talking to people who had um, problems. And I found when, when working, doing business-related skills turned up, because people were watching me, um, they saw me struggling to do marketing, and then they saw me getting successful, so they asked me to start working with them. And that's when I started The Five Essential Skills. I love working with people who are excited about their new business. You know, they want to get it up and running. And if I can help them get their business up more quickly than they could otherwise, then they won't need to struggle for years and years like I did trying to get my psychotherapy business off the ground. Well, I think it's it's interesting that I've talked to um, I've talked to several people who came into personal history from either counseling or or um, psychotherapy backgrounds, and you know it's just interesting because obviously you have to have a real interest in in people and their stories whether you're going into one field or the other. But I've exactly what you just said. I've heard that before that. You know, when we go out as personal historians and we're helping people record their stories, there's a lot of joy. I mean, there can definitely be stories that are harder to tell. And um, sometimes you have to back away from it, starting to feel a little bit like a therapy session. But in general, these are projects that people do because um, because yes. they, you know, it's something that makes them feel good. And, you know, it's rather than... Um, 
helping treat somebody who is in a bad place and they're coming to you for help because of something that feels bad. Um, so yeah, I just, and you know, we all, almost all personal historians yes. start off with a different career. Can so it's, it's fun to, to learn about those. Uh, my psychotherapy background has helped sure. me tremendously in working with small business owners because um, a lot of the times marketing and sales brings up a lot of feelings in people. And, you know, I feel like my therapy background has helped me work, especially with marketing introverts. So. And I, right, I agree with you. And, um, you know, I, I think that probably among the listeners, among people who do personal history, I think you know, there, there is, is got to be an awful high percentage yes. who are who are introverts because, right? I mean, writers in general, we feel more comfortable when we're you know when we're churning out words on a screen or on a piece of paper rather than than talking to people. Yes. Um, and you have to have both skills, obviously, to do this. You know, I have always thought you know the the two major skills are. Um, being able to listen well and interview well and and then applying that to you know creating a, a long form narrative and this actually goes for for people who do video and audio as well you have to have those interviewing skills but what i learned pretty much the hard way because i didn't i didn't find you until a little bit later i had been in business for a few years was that you can have really really good um skills with uh, regarding the craft of doing like personal history but if you don't have bicycle. the business skills i actually i oh did oh my that. gosh that's such you a know, good way I of started, putting it i studied really hard and became uh, i think a good psychotherapist but it didn't do me a bit of good because i had no way to connect with clients and then the second thing was i was a tremendous marketing introvert in the beginning such that I would be sick to my stomach if I went to networking. When I did public speaking, I would hold on to the podium so hard that my knuckles would turn white. So the only thing that saved me was I realized you learn the skills and then you have to use them in order for them to become uh, second nature or easy. So I just simply uh, made a vow that if I wanted to have a business, which I did, I was going to learn how to do these things that scared me because I was going to have to do them for the rest of my business life. I wasn't going to be scared to death every time I walked out my door. I just wasn't. So um, I think my psychotherapy background and also my uh, meditation background both helped with that. But I do understand when people are, you know, terrified about going out marketing. I totally understand Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, and there's different people are going to have different pain points as far as, um, you know, maybe somebody is really good at, at striking up a conversation with a stranger. And, you know, face it, if, if you tell somebody, you can be anywhere, you can be in the grocery store. And if somebody says, oh, what do you do? And you say, well, I, I help people record their stories, or I, you know, write memoirs for people, or I help people with their family histories. You know, it's, it generates almost uh, universal interest. So, so in, from that respect, it can be easy to have casual conversations. But one of the things that I've always found was uh, much, much more difficult was having that initial sales conversation, um, where you're actually talking about, you know, the 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 conversation yeah. always turns to, well, how much does this cost? And you know, and I think that um, for a lot of us, we have a fear of talking about making money. 
You know, I, I think the the fear of the the money conversation is very real for a lot of people. But I would like to get into that. But um, before we do, can you give us a little bit of an overview of your yes. your five and then essential I would like skills? To talk about uh, how you have to talk about price at the right time. So, with my five essential skills, after I was working. Uh, doing business consulting for a while, I realized I was teaching the same five things over and over and over. So I pulled them together in a program. All of these are essential skills, although I often find people want to directly jump into marketing without uh, dealing with the other, the first two first. So the five essential skills are strategic planning and goal setting, so that you know where it is that you want to go and the business that you want to build and who you want to work with and what your product is, all of that stuff. Secondly, business communication, which revolves around really knowing your ideal target clients and what motivates them to buy. The third one is marketing, and that's where you use the understanding you've pulled together about your ideal target clients, where they are, you know, finding out how to market to the general public and how to market to people who have already heard about you and want to hear more about you or want to stay connected, which can be tricky. And then the other thing is once people move down uh, the sales funnel and get to the point where they want to talk to you about possibly working with them, then it's really important to have a sales conversation guide for yourself because as you said amy um most people want to know the price they want to know it right away however in something like personal history this is not like you wake up and your furnace has gone out in the night it's broken flooding the floor you need a furnace right now so you immediately start looking and you are going to purchase however a personal history while it seems very important to a lot of people is a discretionary item. It's like you can live without a personal history, but you can't live without your, you know, your heating system in cold weather. So, um, that's such a good point. I, it, it actually, it goes back to a conversation I had on the phone with, uh, with a potential client yesterday. She called me and, you know, she'd heard about my services. And she said, well, you know, I've been thinking about this on and off. I've been thinking about having a a book about my life done on and off for the past few years, but I'm not quite sure that, you know, that I'm ready to do it yet. (laughs) And then she told me she's 86. (laughs) And I thought, and, you know, and, and, but there is, you know, there's, um, you want to point out to people in as tactful a manner as possible that, you know, there's tomorrow's yes. can very quickly become yesterday's. And, you know, so we all have, we all have our own if, if time you limit. Talk about price before you talk about the reasons that a person wants a personal history, why it's important to them, what they think the future will be like if they have a personal history to pass on to their family and what will happen to their family if they don't have something to pass on. You know, what are the things that will be lost that the family has to learn all over again? Um, All of those sorts of things. If you don't talk about those first, then price is always going to sound expensive, always. Even if you're charging, you know, $10.50, it's now being compared against an internal yardstick that says, oh, $5 is reasonable 
uh, $5,000 is just, oh my gosh, way over the top. However, if they have just told you why it's seriously important, then they're going to see the pricing differently. Right, right. That makes so much sense. You know, especially going back to your comparison of, you know, if your furnace goes out, everybody knows what a furnace is for. Everybody knows what a furnace does. Everybody knows that furnaces exist. But very few people know that um, there is this industry out there of personal historians who can help you write your story. So, so it really starts, you know, not only is it not a commodity, um, and not well known, you know, a lot of times you're starting with actually um, informing right. people, just getting them educated onto right. what it is but there's that, a fine that you balance can do for them. Telling, 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 and pulling those kinds of answers or encouraging those kind of answers out of the person themselves. Because you can say every client I've ever had when they've gotten the book in their hands or the audio recording or the video have burst into tears. You know, they were so happy. Um, you can tell people that, but it's much more um, personally selling if the person says, I can't tell you how much I loved my grandmother. She was the only person in my life who loved me unconditionally mm. when I was a child. You know, I it just kills me that my niece and nephew or my children will never know my grandmother the way I did. I really want to capture her stories and, and what she was like as a person while we still have the chance. That is the person selling themselves on the idea. Whereas if you're mm -hmm. saying, oh, your descendants are going to be so happy about this and blah, blah, blah. That's kind of a thin veneer over reality at that moment. Mm, yeah, that that's such a good point. So you're, we have to build the emotional connection with the people in and if I'm hearing you right, it's um, a lot of that is us guiding them to sharing. giving us the reasons and giving us That's their right. own motivation, right, rather than trying to supply it for them, right? And, and something that I found, too, is, you know, this kind of business is so personal. I mean, it's based on, it's based on people trusting you with their life stories. Um, and, you know, very often you will be the person that they'll tell something that right. they've never told anybody else or that they haven't told anybody in decades. Um, and, you know, pretty often, I, I mean, I would say almost every project that I've worked on um, at some point, they'll be, the storyteller will tell me something and they'll, they'll, they'll preface it with, with, I don't want this in the book, yes. but they feel the urge to tell anyways. So there's this incredibly, there has to be an incredible amount of trust and, that I would imagine, you know, we can probably shoot ourselves in the foot if we're not approaching the sales conversation in um, in a way that allows for that trust to, to flower. But from I the will beginning. say something which I hope is extremely encouraging to everyone who's listening. Um, I have never met a personal historian who was not a caring person who loved listening to other people's stories. And one of the main skills that you need in selling personal histories is the ability to both listen to feedback what you hear, and then gently guide the conversation deeper and deeper so that they're not just talking from their head. Uh, my, grand, my grandmother or my parents have an anniversary next spring. We want to do a book. You know, it needs to be this and this and blah, blah, blah. Those are all head things. But if you're 
slowly listening to what they say and feeding it back, like, um, sounds like your grandmother meant a lot to you, and then letting them talk. Or I can see why uh, Mm -hmm. such a wonderful person you would want your niece and nephew to know about her. You know, those things slowly walk people down into, like, sharing their hard feelings about this. And just the fact that you're in the room listening carefully and asking good questions, a bond happens. So people come to see you not as a salesperson, but as a a caring person that they just felt comfortable telling, talking about their stories with. That goes a long way back into the actual working with the person. It's like you're laying the ground right there. But as I said, there are definitely things you need to talk about in a sort of a certain order when you're doing a sales conversation. And that's one of the things that I really work on with people and teach. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think we got through oh, four oh, of the five yes. essential skills. Did I count <laughs> yes, that right? <laughs> um, and, and okay, why don't you the talk about the fifth one, one? You may be surprised to know is about uh, organization and time management, because um, people who do their strategic planning on a regular basis. Um, for example, every Friday for about five or ten minutes, you look at what you did last week, what's still on the list, what needs to go over into the next week. Then you're looking ahead at your calendar and going, oh, I've got a public speaking engagement here. I need to prep the materials and get ready for that. Or um, I, I have to balance the fact that I'm working really hard on a project right now with the fact that I need to keep my uh, marketing and going. So I need to cut out some time somewhere for me to do my marketing, which is usually the first thing that goes out the window when people get busy. So, and then your pipeline exactly what you slows down. One. And by the time you really need another client, um, you don't have anybody in the pipeline. You have to start your marketing from scratch. Any extra money that you earn that got you ahead for, you know, after this last project gets used up to live on while you're doing some more marketing. So it's really important. And uh, the other thing is the studies say that people use lose a lot of time in changing from one activity to another. You'd be surprised. I've done a certain quiz with my clients, and some of them find out that they're losing up to six to 10 hours a week. Oh, I absolutely believe that. Yes. That task switching, right? Is that that's, yeah, going back and forth. And that's, that's something that I've struggled with a bit, because, you know, um, I think, like most personal historians, I don't work on just one project, I don't even work on just two or three projects, I I usually have, you know, a, a, a bigger roster of things that I'm working on, and trying to figure out um, you know, it's it's an ongoing process for me of discovery of, you know, how am I going to be most effective and um, serve my my clients best? You know, is it uh, taking one day a week to right. work on just one project? Is it carving out a couple hours of writing or an editing time? Um, you know, and 
for two or three projects. Um, and I don't know if maybe I'm just a little less able, you know, less capable of, of switching back and forth. But for me, I, I really, you know, when I get into working on editing a book, um, you know, working in the transcript material that, you know, from interviews, I, you know, I get lost in that project. And it is, it's almost, yes. it's almost physically painful to try to switch to well, just something different. Well, I'll just throw in a, so, a tip that's been helpful for people that I've worked with. Um, you can plan the transition. Um, a lot of times it really helps if when you finish one piece of work and you're moving to another, to literally get out of your chair. That seems like it would waste more time. Get out of your chair go get a cup of tea, go outside for a minute and look at the sun. And then when you come back, be totally fresh and ready to start. So that's one, because sometimes Mm -hmm. your mind is um, wasting the time because it needs a little break. So you can get a lot more done that way. And then the other thing is really know what time of day you do things best. Like, is, is it best if you work on your projects mm-hmm. in the morning? Um, what interrupts you? Can you, um, you know, close close your doors, close the phone off, you know, and, and know that you're going to be back in an hour or so? One of the biggest problems is when people think they have to answer their phone every time it rings. It might be a client or it is a client and they just feel like they have to answer it right this minute. You know, if you can hold off, take the message, hold off, and then answer it in between tasks, your flow is going to be a little better. Now, I understand sometimes your clients are busy Mm -hmm. too, and you have to know if they're calling you and you have to answer it, then you have to answer it. But um, doing your best to set things apart is helpful. And I'll tell you one other thing. Here I am babbling along. Yeah. But my favorite thing was every time I sit down to work, I take one moment and I ask, what would make this even marginally more enjoyable for me? Whether that's turning on some music mm-hmm. that I can work to, or whether it's watching one YouTube video either before or after my work just for fun. Or if it's, you know, buying a couple of flowers at the store and putting them on my desk, those are inexpensive ways that you can reward yourself. Or when I get finished with this really odious piece of work that I have to do, I'm going to go sit out in the sunshine and have a cup of tea. So... Right. That, and you know what, actually what I've learned because I've, I've had different work environments. So I've, um, I've worked from home office. I've worked for, a, at the very beginning, I had my office in my bedroom, which was not ideal yes. at all. There was plenty of space, but it was just, there was that lack of separation between, you know, living and sleeping and working um, for a time. I worked out of a co-work office, which was excellent um, until I got a little bit bored going there. And, and, and so now I'm back working from a home office and I, I work in my attic, which, you know, it's, it's a really nice working space, but it doesn't get very much sunshine. So lately what I've taken to doing is, um, you know, I have my laptop so I can work either on my desktop or my laptop. And I, now that spring is here, cause we're, we're recording this in March. Yes. Um, I follow the sun. So, you know, I, I have it, I have desks almost in almost every room of the house. Um, so I have a desk in the kitchen. I start there in the morning and then I move over to the dining room table because then the sun goes there. And then by the 
end of the afternoon, I'm in the front room at that desk. And it is remarkable how... um, Gosh, it is. It is so nice. And it's, you know, it's one of the perks of Correct. being self-employed that you can choose which work environment. So, you know, if you you get bored staying at home by yourself, you know, if you don't have any interviews that day, you know, then you yes. can go to the coffee shop and work too. So, um, yeah, and I, I think that's great. The the Your tip of, you know, making sure that you give yourself those small little rewards, because those are the things that really keep your right. motivation up um, in doing the, and doing the work. And here's one right? more tip, if I can. Um, and that is, some people are afraid to do really good strategic planning because they're afraid I'm busy now. If I really, um, if I really do strategic planning about what I need to do this week, I won't have a breath of air at all, um, and I'll be working 14-hour days. It's actually the opposite. If you have things lined up so it's easy for you to just transition and go and you don't have to worry about, well, what do I have to do next? What's falling behind? What's this? Oh, I promised myself to do that. I don't want to do that today. You know, if you're not going through all of that stuff, you can get more done more easily in less time. Mm -hmm. And then when you're off, you're really off. You don't have to worry about your work, which is very Mm -hmm. draining if you do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you, so I think you're, you're talking about just clearing the runway so that you, you get rid of the obstacles that are going to snag you and, you know, snag your attention or, you know, divert you from what you and really you want to accomplish in any given work where session. You're go. Like, it's like a map. I'm going right. to walk down the street, turn left, go do this. And then I'm going to be back out on the main street and I'm going to do two or three short things. And then I'm going to set aside a block to work on something for a long time. It's amazing how much time you save. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and this might be too big of a question, but you know, you can, you can go at it from whatever direction you want. If, if, if you're new to this business, you know, if let's say you've got your first client or your first couple of clients, or you're just working on a sample book, you know, for free, and you want to learn all of the skills that you need to be a good personal historian, but you haven't gone through the whole process yet. What is um, what does this strategic planning look like for you at that point? If you don't know, you know, if you don't know well, what you don't know yet. Let me just mention at this point that I have a free ebook that, uh, for those of you listening, I'm making this available to Amy, and you can just request the book and you can have it. It gives a really good overview of the five essential skills in a little more detail than we're talking about it right now, but of course not in as much detail as if someone's actually working with me. But I always say if if that ebook is enough to help you, then have at it. You know, that's a gift from me. But if you need some help, it it will tell you the areas where you go, oh, I know this or I've done this in the past or, oh, my gosh, I don't know this part at all. So then you can decide whether you want to take a class or work with someone, because I feel very strongly that um, people are rarely born natural Uh, business people. If they've been fortunate enough to Mm -hmm. learn from their family who are business people and they've taken them under their wing and taught them how to do this, that's great. But there's very few people like that. My family was not in their own business at all. Any of them that I knew about. 
uh, until I studied my grandmother and found out she had her own business. Well, in my family, it what was kind of business did she have? Taking in sewing. The truth of it was, in the Depression, when people had to make clothes due, and they had to go from one child to the next, and they had to be repaired, they couldn't just be thrown away, my grandmother, who was such a good seamstress, that my mother, during World War II, could send her the picture of a dress from the newspaper, and my grandmother would make it for her. Um, She was that good. She started... um, doing sewing for her neighbors in her small town. I think she was the only one who did it. She didn't have to market because word of mouth uh, was sufficient. And also people genuinely needed her services because you couldn't buy new clothes. Mm -hmm. So your, your, your family had the well, entrepreneurial spirit, did. obviously yes. from your um, grandmother. But they didn't right. recognize right. it. You know, yeah. it was just like, Oh, she just took in sewing. She was brilliant to do that, to take advantage of one of her skills. And um, this is a heart-touching small story, but after she died, my mother had her treadle sewing machine that she used all those years down in the basement. One afternoon, we were talking about Grandma's sewing machine, and I said, oh, I wonder if that second drawer on the left is still all full of buttons because grandma used to let my sister and I play with them and make necklaces and that sort of thing. So my mother and I rushed downstairs to the basement. We moved the couch, pulled the sewing machine out, and sure enough, the buttons were there. But there was something more important that none of us knew was in there. In the upper right-hand corner, there was a little spiral notebook with the wire part on the top. And when you opened it up, It had listed all of my grandmother's jobs, hemming diapers, 25 cents, you know, making a desk for the dress for the Warners, you know, $5.50, you know, and all of these little jobs that she had and stuck in as a bookmark, Amy, was the canceled check of the house of her dreams that she bought doing those little five, 10, 50, $5 jobs. That was when I you know, if nobody else in the family understood what she was doing, she did. Right, right. Well, in the, you know, at the beginning, you you were talking about how we have to have conversations with our potential clients and, and allow them to express, you know, what it means to them to have yeah. these stories recorded. And I think you mentioned, you know, because otherwise it's so hard to get the stories back, but really, I mean, the stories, when they disappear, they generally right. disappear for good if they're not recorded. So in, in those little artifacts that your grandmother, I'm sure was doing that just purely yes. out of a business sense, you know, she had to track her sales. Um, but how much yes. meaning that gives decades and later. My family wow. was not <laughs> That's all happy with my starting a business. It seemed too risky to them. They thought, you know, I should be an employee, not an employer, not a, a business owner, because I would fail. And they were pretty sure about that. They were pretty sure about the fact that I was going to be, fail. And they did everything they could to discourage me. When I found out this information about my grandmother and that, you know, there would not have been food on the table had my grandmother not been an entrepreneur, I suddenly thought, okay, this is not so far outside the realm of my family. My grandmother did it. I can do it. 
parents in general, they want to steer their kids the along the, the course that's safe because yeah. because it's less scary. You know, you, you want your kids to be happy, but there's when you go a safe route, when you, you know, when you go find a job and you know, granted, finding a job doesn't mean all that much now because the, you know, the whole climate is, has changed and there's really not a whole bunch of Correct. job security like there used to be when you go to work for big corporations. But it, um, it used to mean that, you know, your, your kid was set, you know, yes. they, they, they would do okay. So to, um, to encourage something that might have felt very unfamiliar to them, you can understand that. My parents actually started an ice cream parlor when I was a little kid, and that's how they made their living. So they were they, you know, they they were self employed. But I I don't think you know when I was when I was getting a divorce and starting this new career, um, I think it made my mom a little bit uneasy. She would have never come out yes. and said, no, you're going to fail and you shouldn't do this. But, you know, they were they were worried about me and it's understandable. Yes. So good for you in the face of um, having you know, having them be vocal about it and saying, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing this. Good for you for forging ahead. And obviously you found your niche because you are you you rock this kind of marketing, and you know it's it's funny because I I know in in your ebook um, or a, on your website possibly you say something about um, there's a good reason why the industry specializes in certain types of marketing. Um, so a if you could address that a little bit, like what types of marketing are particularly good for personal historians. But then you go on and you say that doing something different can set you apart from your competitors. Okay. So if you could address so, both sides of that, that um, one coin. Please chip in if you, you know, have another insight. But I think the uh, type of marketing that a lot of personal historians do is, first of all, this is not horribly effective, but of course they tell everybody, all their friends, uh, about what they're doing. And the mistake there is they'd say what they're doing, they don't say why people hire them. So that's a strong tip there for those of you who are listening, because if, if someone asks you what you do and you tell them what you do, they're going to walk away knowing what you do, and that's it nothing else. So to make that more effective, you need to say, well, people hire me because of this and this and this. And then they might say, oh, we need that in our family, or my next door neighbor was talking about that. So being really good at um, your business communication is important. That's why it's one of the five essential skills. That's great. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So if, if somebody's working on their elevator speech, you know, if they're just getting into the business, what would be some of the things that they would say, you know, people hire me to do this because. Well, in your strategic planning, this is another, I'm glad we asked this because you can see how the skills work together in strategic planning. You will have identified mm -hmm. your ideal target clients. Um, I've had clients who, um, focus on their religious community, whether they're Jewish or Christian or Buddhist or whatever, or their ethnicity. Like one of my clients was going for uh, descendants of people in Greece who moved to the United States. So really knowing who your target client is, is helpful. So then you can say, I work with people who, and a lot of times personal historians say, um, you know, I have two types of clients. One are older people who want to tell their life story or they want to capture the stories of their 
you know, what they know about their ancestor. And the other one is the adult children of older people who want to make sure that those stories get saved while there's still time. So there would be two. And then if you're saying, typically the people who hire me are, and then you give about three bullet points, and I'm just going to say a few, you know, the adult children who are in the middle of uh, raising their kids, working full time, you know, being soccer parents, um, they want to capture their parents' stories, but they literally have no time. So they hire personal historians in order to get this done. Or people, people who hire me have a good story to tell, but they're not good writers themselves. Or um, mm. people who hire me have a sense that time is passing, you know, like the 86-year-old person you talked to the other day doesn't. And it's it's never too early right. to start your personal history. You can always add on later. But getting those uh, getting those stories captured now is really important. And I'll just tell you, I just talked to a friend of mine mm-hmm. the other day who had a cousin suddenly have a heart attack at 45. She thought she had plenty of time left. You know, I, I happen to know her a little bit. She was, she had, well, she had some family situations where she was planning to be there and take care of that for the rest of her life, but she didn't have the rest of her life. You know, the other thing might be oh, if, let's just say you're Jewish, you're work, you want to work with people who have parents who went through the Holocaust or grandparents, you know, you might talk about, you know, the time passing and how that generation is getting smaller and smaller. But I've often thought that people could also focus on the next generation. What was it like for you to have um, parents, grandparents who were in the Holocaust? You know, why would you want to, why specifically do you want to get those things written down for your family? So, Really thoroughly knowing your ideal target clients is a help. Like, for example, when I started teaching mm-hmm. business skills based on you know my own experience and my study, I didn't in a thousand years think I would be working specially with personal historians. That was an accident. Um, I had a friend who was a personal historian. As I said, she hired me because she knew I was interested in personal history. That got me to the APH conference, and boom, you know, the next 16 years of my life, I'm working with personal historians. So sometimes you don't mm-hmm. know who is going to be your target clients, but you have to start from somewhere. Going back to that, there are so many business coaches out there and marketing coaches. And the fact that you have chosen to dedicate yourself to helping people in the, you know, what you call the yes. memory saving business is so, so important because, um, because like you say, just talking about marketing and not to mention everything else, but there are certain ways that we need to approach our marketing um, that correct. don't apply to, to other industries. You can get good sound business advice that's from a lot of different sources, but it might not do you any good at all if you're trying to build a business as a personal historian. Um, so, okay, how about the, the part where you say that doing something that can set you apart from your competitors, uh, what does that look well, like for, for marketing for I'm personal gonna historians? I'm going to make a generalization, but in the 15, 16 years I worked with 
uh, Association of Personal Historians, I would say a good 85 to 92% of people are very marketing averse. You know, they're um, the things that make them really good at listening to others and being good storytellers are not the same things that would generally take people happily out into the world to do marketing. So um, mm-hmm. I would say that setting yourself apart simply by doing public speaking and setting numbers for yourself. Here's, here's one of my challenges that people are always totally appalled. So if you're appalled, you're in good company. But I tell people, <laughs> what if you set a goal that, you're, that 200 new people every month are going to hear about your business? What would you do? So if you think about marketing like that, then, you know, there's several things you do. You uh, can do ads on Facebook. That gets in front of a lot of people that are targeted. You can do public speaking. You can teach classes. You can, um, you know, in certain instances, if you've done your demographic research and you know that a certain group of people who are just like your target clients live in a certain neighborhood, you can send a series of postcards to them. There's, there's things that just set you apart, but the main thing you want to be is not a little personal historian down in the basement doing your work and nobody hears about you. That's not going to help you. go out and get your name in front of your name or face uh, in front of 200 people. Like my first instinct was, Oh, scuttle up to the attic and, and get yes. in front of the computer and, <laughs> and work on a project. Right? <laughs> like, well, let's pretend like we don't have to do that part, that, that whole getting ourselves out there. And I'm not, I'm not particularly introverted. Yes. I think I'm, you know, kind of middle of the scale, but, um, but yeah, those are the things that can be really hard for a lot of people, but if you're um, being creative, especially people like, like us. The I very think. first person that I gave this challenge to was a client who had dreamed all her life of having her own quilt shop. She was actually supporting herself by doing taxes and being an accountant. So she opened the shop, but she was still having to do accounting work. So the amount of time she had for marketing was pretty small. And we were sitting there one day looking at each other and just looking at each other like, how are we going to get around this problem? And I suddenly popped out with, Kathy, what would you do if you had to get in front of 200 new people every month? She did it. She thought about it. She, like, when she was really busy with tax season, she put an ad in the newspaper. There were still newspapers back then. Um, One month, she hired one of her teenagers to take flyers uh, to every house within two miles of her shop. You know, she found some very creative ways to do this. And um, she would have open Mm -hmm. houses. She would collect names, you know, for her database to send out tips about quilting and this, that, and the other. So she was actually quite um, creative about it. So instead of just saying 200, oh my gosh, nobody can do that. She said, okay, I have to do this. How can I? She did. Yeah, she stepped up to the challenge. Anyway, even if it's not 200, even if it's uh, you aim for 200, but this month you only get 50 because you do two public speaking engagements with 25 people each, um, that's, that's, you're doing your best. 
And the, the truth is, everybody has a marketing equation. It's like, I have to do X amount of marketing to get in front of Y amount of new people in order to get one mm-hmm. new client. Mm-hmm. For us in general, it doesn't mean finding 500 clients. Oh. I mean, our, our projects, the type of work that we do, if we find just a handful of clients throughout the entire year, that usually Correct. sets us up for but the year for how much work we want to do. I mean, um, you know, like if you just stop 10 people on the street, good, there's a good chance that 10 of them have never heard about a personal history and none of them are interested. So there's a certain number of people that you have to uh, meet, doors you have to knock at, you know, strategic partners you need to find, um, those sorts of things in order to say, okay, if I do this amount of marketing every month, I can be pretty sure that I'm going to get at least this Like uh, when I was doing public speaking in Boulder, now I work with people all over the United States. So I don't, I do teleclasses, but not. And and you just to to interrupt again for the listeners, um, Dion, you're going to be offering a new That's teleclass right. starting right. in a couple of weeks. Is that right? And I'll I'll have links to that in the show notes it's as well, going so, to be, can, so the listeners um, can find that. I I call it a boot camp, so it's going to be a heavy dose of the five essential skills and how you do them. There'll be worksheets to help apply all of these ideas to your business. Like I'll teach about doing a 30 second commercial, but then you're going to have a template to work on one for yourself. And then the other thing that's so important is I'm going to encourage people to get out there during the eight weeks and do marketing, not just learn, but actually do. When I was doing public speaking, I knew if I got in front of 25 new small business owners had to be a targeted audience for a talk, I would get five, at least five free initial consultations. Plus, I would have other people who would sign up for my database that wanted to hear from me and know about classes. But of those five, I would generally get one client. So one of my marketing equations was 25 new people, public speaking, five free initial consultations equal one client. Hmm. So you actually create a formula that you're that you're or an equation that you're trying to follow. So I, I guess that goes. It's an equation that, that came that from strategic reality. planning, right? It it came backwards. I didn't plan for twenty five to equal five consultations to equal one client. It was what happened. So being really cognizant and being, you know, aware of what you were doing, reviewing what had worked for you, you were able to then go into the future and and continue to do that, correct? And I think that's, you know, that was one of the hard lessons that I, I'm not naturally an organized person, and I'm certainly not naturally a business person. It's, you know, these are all, all of the skills that I have in those respects have been hard earned. Um, And, and that was one thing that I really, um, it took me some time to learn was that, uh, you know, not just continuously forging ahead and trying new things, but taking the time to reflect and review and see what works um, and, and what doesn't and, you know, steering away from the things that don't and steering towards the things that do. Okay, well, we are getting close to the end of our time, but I was hoping that you could um, give the listeners who are possibly um, 
just getting into personal history um, as a as a business or are thinking about doing it, are there any tips? Uh, just something that they can do, you know, quick actionable, t- not necessarily quick, but actionable tips that they can do to get the process going the so that they get a little bit of momentum going. Don't waste time getting ready to get ready as quickly as possible. Get out and start doing marketing. Even if you just have a business card and an ability to tell people what you do, start getting out there right away, right away. And then, and then find if, if you can afford a, a coach or a teacher, work with someone. Because when you think about it, I, I spent a lot of money on a sales class early in my career because I knew I was more scared of sales than anything else. And one of the things the teacher pointed out was if you are spending money on marketing, but it's bringing you work, then you're basically, I mean, if you paid $10 to get a $5,000 job, would it be expensive? If you paid $200 to get a $5,000 job, would Mm -hmm. it be expensive? So people need to rethink about uh, investing in their own business training whatever that is, um, in order to get more clients. And it's it's not only, you know, you shouldn't look at it as, okay, if I invested in a class or coaching sessions for, you know, X number of dollars and I got uh, X number of sales from that, it's, it's a continuous learning thing. So it will make you a better business person going forward continuously. Yes. Right. So every sale that you get after that, you know, the the more knowledge that you can get. And well, I this is way early before I started working with uh, personal historians when I was still trying to get my psychotherapy business up and running. I took a six thousand dollar sales class. Six thousand dollars. I borrowed every penny and I just told myself, if you do this, you will you need to use every single thing that you learn to get that money to pay it back. And it, it was six months and I paid people, paid the people that I borrowed it from back. And I've been using it that same skills ever since for 20 years. So it was worth every penny. So, but when, when people think that I'm, you know, that when somebody is teaching a class for $50, Oh, that's way too expensive compared to what? You know, is it going to help you find more clients? So, you know, I don't want to say too much about that because people then think I'm trying to just convince people to work with me. But any transaction that we have, it has to be good for on both sides. And you offer so much value. I I mean, I, I just I know that from personal experience with working with you in coaching sessions, you offer so much value to to um, people doing personal history. So why don't you tell everybody um, where they can find you? And um, again, I'll I'll put all these links in the show notes. But go ahead and tell people where your website is is and and what else they need to know to find you. Y-A-N-A-T- K-I-N-S-O-N, I spell it because Dion is a little strange. It, my website is www.memorysaving.com. And if you go under services and look under consulting, there's a list of the personal offerings. And at the very bottom of that, it lists everything that I cover in my six-month uh, private coaching 
which can also apply to single sessions and things like that. Those are the topics I work with. Um, Great. I can be reached at Dion at DionAtkinson.com. And my phone number is 303-415-0243. And if anybody, any of you listening would like a free 15-minute conversation with me just about your business, maybe we can solve a problem for you, please uh, contact me and take me up on it. Okay, that sounds great. And something that I'm remiss in not mentioning earlier, um, Dion actually, her services have been um, talked about or written about in the New York Times. So um, (laughs) she's got some great, she's got some great credentials. But more importantly, she's got some great skills that she can help new personal historians and and established personal historians with. So Dion, thank you so much for joining us and take care. And that does it for our interview with Dion Atkinson of MemorySaving.com. So what steps are you going to take today to kick your marketing into high gear? If you have any fresh ideas, share them in the comments of the show notes at thelifestorycoach.com forward slash episode six. And if today's show was helpful, the best way you can return the favor is to leave us a review on iTunes. I'm Amy Woods Butler, personal historian and your coach for building your own personal history business. Now go out and save someone's story. You've been listening to the Life Story Coach Podcast. 